On today's episode of Metroplex Mania, we talk Game 3 of the World Series between the Astros and Braves and the keys to a successful Texas Rangers rebuild. Hello there. And welcome to another episode of Metroplex Mania. I'm your host, Shanavaz Makani. As always, Metroplex Mania is brought to you by the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network. I'm joined today by my dear friend. She is the co-host of the Did You Hear podcast, also on the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network. It's Emma Hooten. Emma, how you doing today? I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Excited to talk some baseball. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we've tried to do this a couple times and I've made mistakes in recording our audios. And so this time we've got it all ready to go. So, uh, you know, last time we t- we spoke, I know it was a happier time for you because the Red Sox were still, um, yeah. you know, in the playoffs and, and had a fighting chance. Um, I-, I wanted to just get into a little bit kind of where you saw the fall, because it-, it felt to me watching that series that I think it felt like the Red Sox took all the momentum away. And then mm-hmm. Framber Valdez had that incredible outing for the Astros, um, something that I don't think a lot of people expected from him. Um but is that kind of where the rails fell off when the Red Sox just could not manage to get a hit at all? Yeah, especially at home, it was really tough. Framber Valdez had an absolutely incredible pitching performance. The next day or the next game, it was after the off day, Luis Garcia had the same exact thing. I think I would be lying if I said going into the series, I predicted the Astros to win because mm-hmm. I thought the Astros were the better team. It stinks when the Red Sox looked as good as they did, when the offense looked as good as it did, when it was hitting two grand slams a game. I mean, it was a, it was an exceptional run. I will never forget what that offense did in the ALCS. But yeah, once Valdez started pitching as well, I'm pretty sure he had one of the best postseason performances at Fenway ever. It was eight runs, eight or eight or more innings, excuse me, with one run or less less at Fenway Park. Not a lot of people do that. Framber Valdez is now on that list. Yeah, the offense just completely sputtered. The bullpen imploded, which was a huge weakness all season long, really, and it had held up through the ALDS and the beginning of the ALCS, but it was just a lot of those pitching matchups. The Astros lineup was too good, mm-hmm. and then somewhere, somehow, Framber Valdez and Luis Garcia turned into pitching machines down the stretch. You know, and it's funny because Luis Garcia, when when I watched that game and it it just I don't know too much about him because he's still I think he's a rookie. Right. Or he's like in his second yeah, he year. Is. He's got yeah. that weird delivery. Right. That super weird wind up that I'm sure throws hitters off because they're not used yep. to it. But, you know, it, it it felt like in that game, the Red Sox were just swinging at everything. I mean, I'm watching it and, and I know you were we were talking about it on Twitter and we were, I was like. What is happening? Like literally every pitch that was out of the zone, it felt like the Red Sox were just swinging at. Was that more of just Luis Garcia having that great of stuff, you know, coming out of, you know, coming off a couple of days rest? Or is it, do you think it was just the Red Sox just kind of, like you said, imploding, um, you know, at home at the last minute? Yeah. At first I thought the, the latter, it was, I remember a specific Xander Bogarts at bat where he took a 93 to 95 mile per hour fastball right down the middle of the plate. Mm -hmm. And then on two consecutive pitches swung at sliders out of the zone. And it's so frustrating. And at least the first time through the lineup, I understand guys taking pitches, but it's a huge advantage to be a rookie in the postseason because not a lot of the guys have seen you. And especially some of the really routine oriented Boston hitters like JD Martinez, they can't watch a lot of tape. You've got to see them a few times And then the numbers, if you look back and see what Luis Garcia did, he was throwing the ball three miles per hour faster than he Mm -hmm. had all season long. His stuff just played. So I give him a lot of credit, but it was really frustrating to watch the Sox, who have never been a super disciplined lineup as opposed to the Astros. But that last game, they they had a horrible plate approach, to put it bluntly. Yeah, and, and I was in the same boat with you. I think I felt going into the series, the Astros would win. I think I had them in six. Um, yeah, me too. You know, and it, in fact, and we talked about it. I thought the Red Sox would lose to the Yankees. So the fact that they made it that also, far, you know, beating yeah. the Rays, you know, making it to the ALCS after, you know, the whole Mookie Betts saga and bringing in Chaim Bloom and, 
you know, kind of retooling this, you know, once powerful lineup to be more contact approach and getting guys like Kiki Hernandez and Alex Verdugo. It's a successful season no matter what, right? Um, so for the Astros, them being in the World Series, yes, this is a Metroplex, you know, Dallas podcast, but I know I've got a lot of people who listen that are from Houston, you know, we live in the Dallas area, so it, it wouldn't be fair to not touch on the World Series, of course. You know, I thought the Astros were dead in the water when they said McCullers was out. And it's, you have your best pitcher out. Verlander's been out, right? So we, we don't even count, yep. you know, Justin Verlander. Granky is a shell of himself and what he used to be. McCullers has been consistently great for the last, I think, three, four years. And when they said that he wasn't going to pitch in the postseason, as great as the Astros lineup is, for me, I always thought pitching wins in the World Series and in, in the playoffs. And the fact that they're doing this with guys like Luis Garcia and Framber Valdez and, um, you know, it's it's mind blowing to me. It's it, you really can't get over it, right? Jose Arquiti started game two when what was a really big risk for manager Dusty Baker to do. And he threw five innings and didn't give up a run. It just seems like every single move Houston makes works out. And Lance McCullers Jr., like you said, he's been good for so long. It's just that he was overshadowed by Verlander and he was overshadowed by Garrett Cole and Zach Granke. I think that's a really underrated point that you brought up. Zach Granke's a shell of himself. He had to go to the bullpen, mm-hmm. and he's still not getting high leverage roles there. So they are literally relying on Valdez, Urquidy, uh, Luis Garcia, and then Christian Javier has been really, really good too. I actually disagree with you. I think hitting wins, especially in the World wow. Series. I thought the Brewers gonna make, were going to make it deeper into the postseason. They didn't because they didn't have the offense. Mm-hmm. The Dodgers were really well balanced. I think that's going to come down to more of a depth issue. But the Giants also had an incredible pitching staff. They didn't make it out of the DS. I, I actually, I'll pat myself on the back a little bit. I had the Astros going to the World Series. I thought it was going to be the Dodgers and the Astros in the Fall Classic. Every single time the Astros make it into the postseason, it doesn't matter how good their regular season were, was. Jose Altuve steps up. Michael Brantley steps up, Carlos Correa, Alex Bregman, you go down the list, and then you add hitters like Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker who weren't there for that 2017 Mm -hmm. run, and it just seems like they're unstoppable. You know, you touched on two players for the Astros. We know what Correa can do. We know what Altuve – first off, crazy stat that Jose Altuve is second in postseason history with home runs, which – I did not. I had to relook it up because I did not believe that at all. I mean, he's so he's such a like diminutive second baseman, and we know mm-hmm. the the postseason, you know, stats that he has. That in fact, that entire lineup has right for the last it seems like eight years that they've been in the postseason. Mm-hmm. I think they're one of the best. Him, it was it's Altuve, Bregman, Correa, um, and then you know it was Springer at at one time before he left for for the Blue Jays. But mm-hmm. those three guys. Um, Guriel too. And and Yuli Guriel as well, right? Those four guys have been a mainstay in this lineup. But you touched on two players that I think have have it, it should scare the rest of the American League, even if Carlos Correa does leave, and that's Kyle Tucker and Jordan Alvarez. Kyle Tucker was a guy that just two years ago, Astros fans were clamoring for them to trade him for pitching. Yeah. Um, and he just, you know, he he's he's played great defense, right? Anytime he's been out there, he's been he's been relatively a gold golf caliber outfielder whether he's in left or right but it's always been the bat that's kind of it hasn't it hadn't caught up yet right coming from as as a top-ranked prospect in the minor leagues you get to this year and he's got he's has a career year he's still batting low in the batting order i think he's sixth or seventh every night but man he has some clutch clutch hits it's so good that's that's the thing that gets me about the astros lineup every single time Yuli Gurriel, who won the AL batting title, and Kyle Tucker, one of the best hitters in baseball this year, hit sixth and seventh in the lineup. That's how good this team is. They have a slight weakness in the eight and nine spots, but one through seven, they have the deepest lineup in baseball. Yeah, and something that I think is really underrated too, the Astros hit righties and lefties extremely well, Mm -hmm. so Dusty Baker really doesn't have to worry about platoons, but they go righty lefty righty lefty righty lefty all the way one through seven it's really crazy so pitchers don't get any sort of respite from that but yeah going back to tucker specifically from the left side of the box he really is a full field guy he can just as easily go the opposite way as he can pull a homer to the right side and then jordan alvarez i think is one of the scariest line hitters in that astros lineup he torched 
the Red Sox. He has some bad splits against lefties, but against Chris Sale, that didn't matter. I'm sure you oh, know God. the bat that I'm talking about. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> and the Cora decision that will be highly criticized as we talk about this postseason. But those two guys are, I think, really representative of what this lineup can do. And Jordan Alvarez is 24 years old. It feels like he's been around forever, but he really hasn't. This is one of his few fully healthy mm -hmm. seasons so far. And you can say the same thing about Correa, too, and look how they performed across a full 162. The the thing that scares me the most is when I was watching the pregame show on Fox, when you've got, you know, you've got A-Rod, you've got Big Poppy, and you've got all yeah. these other, Frank Thomas is on there. All four of them are sitting, or excuse me, three of the four are sitting there, and they all turned to one guy and said, Jordan Alvarez reminds us of you. And they all looked at David Ortiz and they said, this is a young, the batting stance is very call. similar, right? Yeah. But he's a, he's a DH, the guy, I mean, he's not a good outfielder, right? I think they have him at left field, but you know, he's going to, he primarily plays designated hitter. You know, he's a, um, he's an international player, much like David Ortiz was. The only difference is Ortiz came from Minnesota and Boston kind of scooped him up. You know, they, they kind of found him and, and, you know, kind of revamped him and, and brought him along to be this MVP, um, you know, and, and hopefully hall of fame, player whereas Alvarez was a guy that had never played for the Dodgers before right was in the minor league system and the Astros traded Josh Fields for him because the the Dodgers needed relief pitching it's crazy I didn't even know that that's actually a really good point so the fact that they were able to pick him up I think the Astros I can't remember if we talked about this before the Astros scouting department is really underrated they have been able to unbelievable pluck guys out of nowhere Jordan Alvarez is the perfect example of that and every single year they just get better. They kept that core. And I know we'll talk about the Rangers a little bit, but it actually strikes me as kind of similar. They had the core guys of Bregman, Altuve, and then they were able to trade for the pitching. They were able to cultivate mm -hmm. Garrett Cole to get themselves into the postseason year after year. And that's what creates a winning culture. Pat and I talk about it a lot on our show. I have only criticism for what the Astros did with their cheating. I, I think there's no place for mm -hmm. that in the sport. But you cannot deny that the Astros have made five straight ALCSs. That's just talent. They have guys that can straight out play, and they're so balanced on offense and defense. And a lot of that comes from the farm system, from the scouting departments, and finding diamonds in the rough like Alvarez. And they, you know, you're you're absolutely right with the with the cheating scandal. But it, it's crazy because making five ALCSs in a row is unheard of, right? That's right. that's like LeBron making ten, you know, finals in the two. And you go back and you think about it, and you're like, LeBron made ten straight finals, and you have to really like actually go back and think who played in the finals those years. And it's every year he's yeah. in Eastern Conference Finals, and he's in the. I mean, it's it, it it goes back like you said to the scouting department, but you know they, their minor league system now is completely is is worthless at this point oh, yeah. right i mean they they've completely well, that's the cost out. yeah but that's but at the end of the day if you can acquire the right players we've seen so many teams trade really good minor league talent for players that have not panned out and whether it's one-year rentals two-year guys they just don't pan out then they leave for via free agency and and that you know that team that traded away their prospects are left barren the astros have probably traded away good pro i can't even remember who they've given up for folks but the fact that they can go out and get a Justin Verlander, they can go out and make, you know, make these deals that for Garrett Cole, uh, you know, when he was with Pittsburgh, the fact that they can do that and sustain this run, you're absolutely right. It's that's all scouting to know which players are going to fit in with your system and what players are going to help to get you over the top, not just in the postseason, but at least a shot at the World Series. Yeah. And it feels like so often we're talking about the other side of it the moves that didn't pan out. Right, so we absolutely. don't often give enough credit to the organizations that are doing it right. And again, that's overshadowed by the, the cheating scandal, but it really is true. And I'm thinking about it. I'm not super familiar with their farm system either, but when was the last time they spent a lot of money on a high ticket free agent? I genuinely can't remember. So I mean, they I'm, are probably in a relatively good financial space where they can lose George Springer and still make it back to the World mm -hmm. Series. They're probably gonna lose Carlos Correa and they can they can be fine because they can either throw out money at another guy or rely on the rest of the core that they have. And I, I was surprised when they didn't resign Springer. I know yeah. I know it was kind of a foregone conclusion that he was leaving, but I thought he was he was the first guy really of that rebuild, right? He was the first one they drafted, the first mm -hmm. one they developed and kind of brought up. So I thought he he more so than maybe Bregman or Correa was kind of the heart and soul of that team, right? So if anybody of those three, I thought they would have kept Springer, but you know, that's, you know, that was just my opinion, but I mean, they've done a fantastic job. It's, it's absolutely 
insane. And I, yeah, you're right. I think the last time they spent money on a free agent was Zach Greinke. Yeah. And, and that was, you talk prime Zach Greinke was probably from 25 to 35. I mean, there was a 10-year period where Zach Greinke was a top three pitcher in baseball. Mm-hmm. Every year, unquestioned. Um, the thing that upset me the most is that he never wanted to play in the AL. Uh, I know the Rangers tried to get him back in the early 2010s. Um, and he said he didn't want to play in the AL. He only wanted to play in the NL after he left the Royals. And then he comes back to the Astros. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> so it was just the Rangers. <laughs> it was just the Rangers, which is typical. Typical yeah. John Daniels. No, I think I think Zach Greinke has a Hall of Fame career. I think oh, without question. Amazing. Uh, the highlight reels, too. He seems like he has an amazing personality. And his longevity and what he's still able to, contrib- to contribute to this team, even in 2021. Like I said, he's not going to be in any high leverage situations, but he is a postseason veteran that you can count on in an otherwise relatively young clubhouse. You've got the mm-hmm. the veterans, obviously, but Tucker Alvarez, uh, the the tandem in center field, Jose Siri, Chaz McCormick, even Jake Myers. Not a lot of these guys are super seasoned and the pitchers too, Valdez and Luis Garcia, a lot of young guys that could really benefit from a Zach Greinke. Um, the one guy that we haven't touched on that you actually mentioned on your Twitter the other day was Michael Brantley being the best hitter that the Astros have. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's kind of funny to think about it because Brantley seems like the forgotten guy in that lineup because you've got all this superstar power. But Brantley is a, I mean, just a consistent, even from his days back in Cleveland. I mean, the guy is just a consistent, you know, a consistent hitter. His fielding has gone down, right? He's no longer... You know the the almost gold glover that we saw you know earlier in his career but man that guy just anytime there's a clutch situation it seems like he's on base yeah the lauren auerbach who is also a blue wire hustle member she was the one i asked her she's a braves fan i asked her straight up who's the scariest hitter in the astros lineup and i 100 percent expected her to say alvarez because that's what i would of course said. yeah and she said michael brantley and consistency is the one perfect word to describe him, I remember when he was on the Indians, and I would dread playing the Indians mm-hmm. because of the lineup they had at the time. The Lindor, Ramirez, Brantley, oh one, two, God. three. That's lethal. And, yeah, the fielding will go down. That's as he gets older, too. It doesn't even matter to me. It's honestly just a blip on my radar because he is so contact-oriented. He can hit it to any part of the ballpark, just like Kyle Tucker. He's the lefty right after Jose Altuve. I think when you – write up the scouting report as an opposing team if you can eliminate Brantley you have an extremely good chance of winning I don't know how you do that because he doesn't chase he doesn't swing and miss he just puts the bat on the ball and usually make things happen but I think when he goes the Astros go because Altuve has had a cold stretch mm-hmm. Bregman really isn't playing well this World Series even Correa has been quiet but Brantley's just that guy it's not flashy but he gets on base and he gets things going at the top of the lineup and he hits lefty so well, so it's not yeah. like you can expect to throw out a lefty there and then, well, guess what? Now you got to face Alex Bregman. And, exactly. You know, that's even if he's cold, I mean, you never want to give him a chance to, you know, to hit a home run. Totally. Um, so tonight we've got game three, obviously. Um, it, Atlanta's going to be crazy. I, you know, I, I can't even imagine what that ballpark's going to be like. Um, I want to touch on the Braves just a little bit because I think that story is just so great. Yeah, um, it is. The fact that they lost their two best players early on in the season – um, you know, Ron Lacuna Jr., Mike Soroka, who are two of the top 10 probably up and coming stars in this league, um, who are going to be stars for a long, long time. Um, their outfield was remade at the trade deadline. Like all three of their outfield starters were people they acquired at the trade deadline. Um, Eddie Rosario just torched the Dodgers completely. Um, it's been it's been a completely insane run. They've got Ian Anderson on the mound tonight. But I think the loss of Charlie Morton just kills them. I mean, I, I think, first off, the fact that he struck out, you know, it was it Jose Altuve on a broken leg. Like, yeah. That was that was insane. That's got to go in the vault as, like, one of the best sports moments. It like, should. Ever. Yeah. Um, it's, the, it's the bloody sock, honestly. Yeah. And yeah. and the fact that he then apologized to his teammates. He's like, sorry, I broke my leg. Like, it's oh, not yeah. your fault, man. Like, come on. Um, you can't help it. <laughs> um, but it's just... Charlie Morton, I, I felt like, was such an anchor to that rotation, especially after they lost Soroka. Um, Ian Anderson's been great. You know, he's a good young kid. Max Fried, obviously, is a great pitcher. Do the Braves have enough to win this? I mean, or, or to at least make it... I mean, I said Astros in six coming into the World Series. I, I still stand by that. But now with Morton out, I don't know if this is a five-game series. I don't think if the Astros just went out at this point. 
Yeah, I also had Astros in six. When you phrase it like that, do they have enough? I think the answer is objectively no, because how can you win a series with two starting pitchers? Brian Snicker isn't going to put Drew Smiley in. He's probably, Mm -hmm. and he's been very candid about this, he's going to have two full games where it's going to be bullpen games. He's going to have to get 18 straight outs from bullpen arms. And the bullpen carried the team against the Dodgers just as much as Eddie Rosario did. I will die on this hill. I really do believe that Tyler Matzik should have been the co-NLCS MVP. He was absolutely Phenomenal. Amazing. Phenomenal performance. Absolutely amazing. I will never forget that Mookie Betts at bat. It was just so amazing to watch. But especially with Max Freed being light, not being lights out, excuse me, like he was at the second half of the season, it's really hard to imagine how Snickers going to put this together. It's just the idea that they're running on fumes and that's what happened to the Dodgers. There just aren't enough arms. And Morton was another guy that was part of the Astros that I didn't mm-hmm. even mention that post postseason experience really hurts. It's not like he was great. He didn't get to pitch that much because of the injury, obviously. And we should be remembering that act of heroism being able to go out there and <laughs> strike out Altuve on a broken leg. But yeah, I, I have concerns for the Braves. I still think their offense can keep them in a game, but it's going to be a, I mean, the roster's in shambles to, to put it bluntly. It really is. You, Ian Anderson is going to have to throw seven innings, literally no matter what, no matter how many runs the Astros put on the board, because he has to eat innings. Yeah. And if, you know, putting a strain on your bullpen is never, is never great. It's funny because you get to the postseason and all of the the preconceived notions you have about bullpen and lineups and, and starting pitchers and pitch counts, all that goes out the window, oh, right? Yeah. At that point, it's it's best man up, right? It's whoever pitch as long as you can. Like it doesn't matter. We've got a couple days off. It, you know who cares, right? Um, but I mean, if if you're the Braves and like you said, you've got two starting pitchers and you've got to use literally everybody out of your bullpen. Um, it, it's a tough task. You know, I, I, I'm pulling for the Braves just because obviously Ron Washington, the ties to Texas, him yeah. being the third base coach, uh, just one of the one of the most likable guys in baseball history, I think. Um, and then Freddie Freeman. I mean, I would love to see Freddie Freeman win a ring. Um, I think the guy deserves it. You know, he already won his MVP finally. Um, and I just don't want to see the Astros win, but I don't see a way that they lose. Like, it's just, it's one of those, like, when they played the Dodgers, you could make a case for the Dodgers, right? The Dodgers were stacked. Um, the Astros had better pitching that year, right? Yeah. When it, it, and it just, it's every year, it's like you got to try, how can you make a case against the Astros every time they get there? And it's just like, if they're not out in the ALCS, you got to make them the favorites in the World Series. Yeah, I feel, I totally feel that way. Freddie Freeman's one of the best personalities in all of sports, not even just baseball. I am really pulling for him, but it's, I feel that way about everything you just said, and I really do agree, but they couldn't have gotten here without all of the things that happened to them. You know, they were waving the white flag Mm -hmm. in June. They spent 111 days below 500 and they're in the world series, the Atlanta Braves who it seemed like barely won the NL East. That's not actually how it happened because they won by a couple of games, but the way their season started, the way Lauren was talking about it, which I thought was great was, why not throw Charlie Morton out? You know, it's just the way it happened all season long. You lose Acuna, you lose Soroka, you lose Azuna. Now you lose Morton. They're huge blows every single time, but you just got to trust what Snicker and Anthopolis have in place. And I'm starting to get a little sick of the narrative of everybody just talking about the losses because we also should be talking about how good Freddie Freeman's season was and how good Austin Riley is. How good what Dan a story. Austin what a was. Sto- Austin Riley had- was written off a year ago. I mean, Braves fan wanted him out. When they let go of Josh Donaldson, people were freaking out that, yeah. oh my God, we've got to play Austin Riley. Like, what's going to happen? I remember when he came up, he was amazing. And then he had that full, first full season and it was just a nightmare. I think we should be talking about those storylines. But that being said, what Anthopolis did at the deadline should be remembered forever because it then these names that you never would think would actually contribute to a world series team. And now the Braves are only down two one. It or excuse me. It's tied one, one mm-hmm. game three tonight. You, you feel like the sky's falling, but they really are still in it. Was that, was that your prediction tonight? Are you saying the Braves are going to be down two one? Is that how you kind of segue into that? Yeah, I do. I guess that <laughs> is true. I said though, if Ian Anderson can get through, I said seven, but realistically, if he can throw five innings and limit the Astros to less than two runs, I think that's a win. And I think the Braves can still be in this series. 
because you've got the bullpen fully rested tonight, right? Mm-hmm. So game three, it's the Braves are five and zero at home. I agree with you. Truist is going to be rocking, and I think that's a really tough place to play. You've got Minter rested, you've got Matzik rested, you've got Smith rested. Got the win tonight, and then you have a little bit more leeway because it's going to be much harder, especially when the series goes back to Houston. Yeah, you're you're right. I mean, Braves fans have to be extremely happy with the way the season went, and we as baseball fans have to acknowledge just the phenomenal job that not only Snicker did but Anthopoulos. I mean, this mm-hmm. is a guy that when he was GM of the Blue Jays, I mean, he was criticized for a lot of moves that he made that somehow worked out, right? Like it, it was like every time he made moves, they worked out. Gets hired by the Braves, and he's always he's such a good GM at making those shrewd kind of deals that are really under the radar radar yes. that you don't think are going to work, but Definitely. then. I mean, it leads you to the World Series. Like, who would you literally revamp your entire outfield at the trade deadline, and it leads you to the World Series? Like, that's unheard of to do that. I know. And just for emphasis, too, the names that revamping was Adam Duvall, Eddie Rosario, Jock Peterson, and Jorge Soler. It's not like any of these guys were high, high impact players that we thought, oh my gosh, the Braves got him. Watch out for them. Mm-hmm. Nobody was thinking that at all. It was literally, they just needed bodies to put into the field because of how many injuries they were dealing with. And now look yeah. at where they are. And and the future is bright for that team too, because they've got a great minor league system. They've got two of the great, of the best outfielders in the minor league system and Christian Pache and Drew Waters, mm-hmm. um, who could come in and fill in if they want to move Acuna to right or left instead of playing center. Um, you know, and then, of course, you've still got Austin Riley. Soroka will be back. Dansby Swanson's there for another year. Albies. I can't imagine a world where they don't re-sign Freddie Freeman this year. I, it, it's it, it's weird to even think of him in another uniform. Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, so, the, I mean, the situation's great for that team. Even if if they lose this, you know, this World Series, I fully expect them to be back in the hunt uh, in, in a relatively weak NL East, uh, unless the Mets, you know, somehow find a G, a proper GM and, and figure out what, what the hell they're doing in New York. But, yeah. um, you know, I think the Braves are, Braves are in a good situation. Totally. And they got Acuna and Albies on absolutely ridiculous bargain oh contracts. So they that, should be talking about that for years too. God. So, I mean, just like signing a player that young, I don't know why more teams don't do it, to be honest. I, I really know. don't. It doesn't make think- sense to me. I think generally it's good for baseball. I think it's good for Acuna to be in one spot. And yeah, we want to see him get the type of money that Tatis gets or Harper gets. I guess Harper is the more relevant comparison here because Harper obviously hit the market at a different time. But yeah, it seems like an injustice because Acuna is getting so little money, but I think it's good for him to have a home and for baseball to work that way. Then we're not worrying about service Mm-hmm. Uh, manipulation time and that whole thing, which nobody wants to get into. With the whole Mariners and Jared Kelnick yeah, and exactly. service times. It's like, come Chris on, even Bryan Chris Bryant. There you yeah. go, right. Um, all right, so I think we both have the Astros winning tonight. Um, yeah. And Astros winning in six. So we'll see. We'll, hopefully we can reconvene and, and talk and, and talk Braves World Series tamp- championship. I hope so. In a week I really or so. do hope so. Um, so I wanted to get into um, to the Rangers. You know, obviously that's that's you know where my heart lies, um, deep in the heart of Texas. Stupid pun. Um, <laughs> you know, we we avoided a hundred and five loss season, which is great. You know, that was the worst in franchise history. So this was only the second worst year in franchise history. Um, you know, and, and it's it's tough as a Rangers fan because there were so you know that the early two thousands were or two thousand tens were so wonderful. For this team, having so many homegrown stars and making it to the World Series, Neftali Feliz striking out A-Rod in the ALCS when he was a Yankee, um, you know, and then, you know, getting Adrian Beltre, Josh Hamilton. I mean, we, there was a five-year run there where we were legitimate title contenders. Um, and then you get into the kind of the mid-2010s when, much like we talked about earlier, where John Daniels is just trading prospects away for guys like Carlos Beltran and Jonathan Lucroy and... Players that never shifted the needle um, for this team. And, and here we are, you know, five, six years later, uh, again, with a top five draft pick coming up in the in the Major League draft next year. From an outsider's perspective, um, what are your thoughts on the Rangers and, and, and kind of where, you know, where they ended from when Adrian Beltre retired and they decided, you know, okay, this is, you know, there was a year there where we were like, we're not really rebuilding. We're just kind of, we're going to see how things go. And and then last year was kind of the full John Daniels and then bringing in Chris Young saying, all right, this is a rebuild. Yeah. I'm, I generally try and take optimistic tilts on this. 
on these type of questions, I don't think there is any use in not calling it a rebuild if it's a rebuild. Then it's just years of mediocrity, what the mm-hmm. Phillies are doing right now. Well, that's what I think of. Honestly, kind of what the Yankees are doing. They're, they won't ever call it a rebuild because they have too much money. But just years of mediocre players and the coaching isn't there and the players just can't get it done. They can't get over this hump and make it deep into the playoffs. When you are when you label it a rebuild, you can at least start moving players around and start to shift your mindset into, okay, we don't have expectations to win next year. Maybe our expectation is let's not have the worst season of franchise history. And that sucks for fans. It really, really does. But now the Rangers are in a really good position because they can spend a lot of money. They're still not one or even two or three players away, but they can start looking at this in a, three to five year window as opposed mm-hmm. to year to year, because that's when you start compiling draft picks. That's when you revamp the farm system. And that's when you start throwing it, throwing money at high impact guys like the Seegers and the Correa's and the, the Kershaw's and Scherzer's and the other big names on the market. So, you know, you make a very good point. There's a very methodical way of doing this, right? This isn't just, okay, we've got, I think we have like $10 million committed in salary next year. So it's, yeah. there's a That's lot kinda, of money. It's nice. Yeah. Th- there's a lot of money to, to be spent, but the other side of the coin is who wants to come to a 104 loss team, mm-hmm. right? Um, you've got to really make a good sales pitch um, to whatever free agent you want to go out and get. Uh, Chris Young has already come out and said that we don't, the team doesn't plan on contending until 2023, right? So we're, we're talking not necessarily another year of rebuild. I think we're at a point now um, where they, the Rangers have kind of figured out who is a piece of this roster and who's not. Um, and, and that was, I think, the biggest... Obviously, the, the Kyle Gibson-Ian Kennedy deal for Spencer Howard, I think, was um, was inevitable. I mean, that was going to happen no matter what, especially yeah. after... they. I think they learned their lesson with Mike Miner a couple of years ago and we should have traded him and didn't uh, and then got nothing in return, basically. Yeah, Was that um, Lance Lynn, too? Didn't they wait too long on him? They did, but I will tell you... Dane Dunning is a staple of this rotation going forward. Um, Dane Dunning was him. He was probably the one pitcher other than Taylor Hearn who came from the minor leagues who probably solidified their spot in the rotation next year. Um, You know, Spencer Howard came in and still struggled and he was on an innings count. Um, And I get it because, you know, obviously he's, he had a lot of struggles in in Philadelphia, but the guy was, was their first round draft pick. I mean, he's their number one prospect for a reason, right? The guy's got talent. Um, but, but I go back to the Joey Gallo trade. I, I think the Rangers tried. Um, they worked with Scott Boris to figure out if there was a way to sign him. It's never going to happen if you're a Scott Boris client, unfortunately, because um, he wants his players to hit the open market and get you know get the highest value. Um, but the return that, that the Rangers got for Joey Gallo was heavily scrutinized, but I look at it from a different angle. I look at it from the fact that one of the guys you got is now in your top five in terms of your minor league system, which A, says a lot about where the Rangers minor league system was at the time. Um, but B, the, the Rangers minor league system went from 28th to 11th this year. Um, not all of those players are going to pan out. Not all of those players are going to be starting. What it does is alludes back to what we talked about with the Astros, that it provides you the draft or the trade capital to go out when the time is right to go out and get a big name guy. Um, you know, down the line, whether it's a pitcher or whether it's a hitter that's unhappy and, and is on the trade block, that having that those many assets in the minor leagues, I think, provides you that ability to then go out and say, all right, pick and choose what prospects you want. We'll give them to you if we can get this guy. Totally. Can I tell you exactly what I think the Rangers should do? Sure. And the, the Joey Gallo part is really important because in that situation, it's quantity over quality. And mm-hmm. it is a case that there were some quality prospects, but you are totally just compiling at this point. I think the last time I was on when we had the technical difficulties, I was a little bit torn about whether the Rangers should go after a guy this offseason, who exactly he should be, what the landscape is for the next couple seasons, the whole thing. If they have money to spend this year, I think they spend it on a shortstop because this is the premier class of free agent shortstops it's Baez, Seager, Story and Correa and Marcus Semyon but I don't think Semyon factors into their plan because he's older than the other guys mm-hmm. you lock one of them down really don't think it matters who and then you spend the rest of your money on one year deals for aging to middle aging 
veterans that can help these young guys learn. You go to the farm system, see how they see how some of those guys are panning out. So then in 2023 and 2024, you aren't hamstrung by signing five big time free agents this season that won't see a winning season for three more years. You've let the young guys build up and then you can start building some chemistry. And Chris Young is still in the early stages too. Mm -hmm. I don't think we're at a point where he's on the hot seat or anything. We're just getting into this rebuild. So don't go out too early, spend too much money. Instead, get some older guys, let the young guys get some playing time because I'm sure you don't have high expectations for next year. Why not throw out a bunch of young guys, see how they do. Maybe some of them stick. And then in 2023, 2024, you start throwing money when you're one guy away. I remember we said that phrase a lot when I was on last time. Get to the point where you're one player away, and then you hope that your farm system is still at the point where you can use that as trade capital. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And I, I don't, I haven't thought of it that way. Um, you know, I, I, I'm still torn on whether to go out and spend a big name, money on a big name shortstop. And I think if it's anybody, it comes down to Seager and, and Correa for mm-hmm. the Rangers. Um, and, and two reasons why. Number one, the Rangers need left-handed hitters. Um, they're almost everybody on this team, especially after Joey Gallo was a right-handed hitter. Um, so I think in, you know, injecting another lefty who has had success at globe life, um, uh, would be great. Just like we saw Seager do in the world series. Um, but Carlos Correa, I mean, that's, if you can get Carlos Correa, you get Carlos Correa. You don't, you, you don't care what he came from when they came from the Astros, the cheating scandal, his part in it, whatever that's, that's in the past. Um, you know, there's reports out there that Correa wants to take more of a leadership role, that he wants to be on a team where he can kind of mentor and start, you know, building up. I mean, that's not a bad thing. I don't see that. It's not bad at all. I I, I do agree with you that, that the Rangers need to, and and I think they will, I think there's going to be a a focused effort to bring up a lot of these young guys. Cause a lot of them aren't that far away Mm -hmm. from the majors, especially guys like Josh Young, who's the, who's the top prospect in the system. He's going to be the opening day third baseman. Um, Guys like Sam Huff is going to be up, whether it's early in the year. You know, he's kind of split between uh, catcher and first base. Um, you know, Justin Foscue, who was our first-round pick in 2020, um, has been tearing it up in AA. Um, he's a, a guy, uh, second baseman, who's been compared to Dustin Pedroia. Um, you know, wouldn't mind having, you know, him or even like a 70% version of Ian Kinsler at second yeah. base, right? <laughs> I mean, that's still not bad. Um, you know, I, I look back at... at uh, the Rangers rebuild um, in the late 2000s. And it's very different. And, and there's been a lot of talk about, you know, okay, well, we traded Mark Teixeira, which was kind of like how we traded Joey Gallo. But that was different. I mean, when you traded Teixeira, you got a certified number one prospect in Elvis Andrews. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you got a guy in Matt Harrison. You got Neftali Feliz. You got three anchors of your of your uh, AL title teams, basically. Um and then you turned Matt Harrison into uh, into Cole Hamels a couple of years later after that, right? So it's very different because the you know Gallo was not the the type of player that Teixeira was. He he wasn't as good, obviously. And and I think with his down year last year and this year, his value had diminished a little bit. But the Rangers wanted to see what you know what was going to happen this year. They started off the season great. I think they were five hundred at the end of like May, and then everything just kind of fell you know fell off. Um, you know the only bright spot was. Fingers crossed, AL Rookie of the Year, Adolis Garcia. Um, but, you know, the trade for the rebuilds were completely different. The, the two that that I, I look at, I look at two rebuilds in Major League history, at least in our lifetimes, that the Rangers need to follow a blueprint for, and that's, that's Houston and Detroit. Yeah. Um, and people don't talk about Detroit that much, the, that mid-2000s team when they had the most losses in American League history. The next year, they went out inside Pudge Rodriguez um, right after he had won the World Series with Florida. And nobody wanted to give Pudge Rodriguez a deal. Um, you know, he's an older catcher. I think he was 34, 35 at the time, was injured. But they get Pudge, and then they won, I think, 70-something games. Then they go out, and they started signing guys like Maglio Ordonez, Troy Percival. And then guess who came up from the farm system? Another number two overall pick. We have Jack Leiter. That was Justin Verlander. Yeah. Tigers make the World Series and then had a 10-year stretch where they were one of the best teams in the American League. I mean, not for nothing, they're kind of doing the same thing now. I, I think that the Tigers are going to be on my list for a lot of sneaky teams to watch this year, too. Their, they, their rotation is really good. They are the one team 
I'm scared will sign Carlos Correa away for the fact mm-hmm. that they have AJ Hinch. Yeah. And Correa and AJ Hinch are very close. And I think the Tigers are closer to contending than the Rangers are. Yeah, I think the the Tigers move for AJ Hinch was I literally I still see it and I just think of the evil laugh mm-hmm. with the the GM because that's that's looking long term. That's we are a couple of years away. And when we have a coach like Hinch, we've got some moves up our sleeves. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. I think those two organizations that you mentioned, Houston and Detroit, they laid low for a while. They absorbed their losses and they knew it was going to be bad, but they put themselves in positions where they could draft a Verlander and they could draft a Bregman. And for Texas, they could draft a lighter. You didn't mention him, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see Jack lighter over the summer. I think he was drafted with the potential slash the expectation that he would be contributing early. And then you've got Hearn lighter and Dunning in the rotation. That's pretty good. Then you wait another year. Then you get, Whoever is on the market at that time, I wouldn't be surprised if the Rangers go out and sign a Strowman or a little bit on lower, a tier below that, a Granky. Kyle Gibson was really, really good for them beginning of the year too. Mm-hmm. It's obviously not a spot you want to be in, but they do have the financial flexibility, and that's obviously the most important part. And now you just hope you put your hope in Woodward and Young, or I think I mixed them before. Sorry, Chris Young is the GM, correct? Correct, yes. Yeah, you put your hope in Chris Young that he has the blueprint laid out and he does have a plan because the worst thing that could happen is there's no plan and you do what the Orioles do and you're in rebuild for five, six years. which Every year, every year. And, and you know, as a Rangers fan, I'm tired of John Daniels. I think every Rangers fan is. Um, Look, JD was the architect of our our World Series teams, even though we didn't win and we should have had we replace Nelson Cruz with with Andy Chavez or anybody else in the outfield but that's you know I digress on that but you know Daniels Daniels had to relinquish power um you know I think he won the power struggle between Nolan Ryan and then Nolan Ryan goes to Houston and we see where they are now mm-hmm. um uh, I I think handing the reins over to Chris Young was a smart move um you know everything that that we've heard down here in Dallas is that ownership has given Chris Young basically a blank check and said, go out and get whoever you want. And that's, that's one of those things where if it was John Daniels, I'd be very, very concerned because I feel like it would be the opposite of what you said. He would just go out and sign five guys to hundred million dollar deals and be like, all right, you know, Josh Young, Justin Foskey, all you guys stay in the minors. Like, let's mm-hmm. see how this works. And then you're delaying development another year. You, d- development in the minor leagues is great, but you don't get that experience until you're up in the majors. If you struggle, you struggle. That's fine. But if you're not planning on contending for two years, bring them up. What's the harm? Yeah. Right. What's the harm? The pitching rotation is interesting because you mentioned signing guys like Stroman, um, you know, a guy like Greinke. Um, the really cool part about this is a lot of the pitcher, Glenn Otto was one of the pitchers that would, that the oh, Rangers yeah. got back from the Joey Gallo deal. had a great debut um, for the Rangers this year. Taylor Hearn and Dane Dunning have basically locked in their rotation spots next year. And then you've got guys like AJ Alexi, Spencer Howard, Colby Allard, uh, who was acquired from the Braves for Chris Martin a couple of years ago. Um, guys that, that are solid, you know, number three, number four, number four guys, <clears throat> You just need that. What you have the flexibility to go out and sign a Clayton Kershaw to a four-year, hundred and twenty, whatever number he wants. Bring him home. Let him mentor. Right. That's ultimately, I think that's what the Rangers are going to do. I think they're going to go out. They're going to get Clayton Kershaw because number one, you bring a World Series Cy Young winning pitcher uh, to basically help coach all of these young prospects that you've got. Cole Wynn in the minor leagues. Uh, Jack Leiter, we mentioned. You let Kershaw come, you you put butts in the seats at Globe Life. Um, and then with your under money, I mean, you're one of, like you said, one of the shortstops. I, I would love Correa. Like I said, I think he goes to Detroit. And I think ultimately, I think it's going to be Trevor's story because I think, again, the homecoming you know, yeah. narrative is so it's it's so overblown. But I would not be surprised if if the Rangers throw a bunch of money at Trevor's story. Um, the one name that I'm really intrigued by is a Nicholas Castellanos if he opts out of his deal with Cincinnati, because I think that's, that's Castellanos reminds me of what JD Martinez was when he left Houston, Interesting. A guy who's not like a great fielder, but a phenomenal hitter slots right in there at your designated hitter can play the outfield every now and then if you need, 
but I mean, when the Red Sox signed J.D. Martinez, I mean, he completely just turned that turned you, that team around, right? You guys were still kind of a middling, you know, after David Ortiz retired, it was still kind of like, all right, well, who's going to provide the power? Yeah, and, and J.D. did that. I think Castellanos is an interesting one. I personally don't think he will opt out. I think there's enough there in the Reds and he had a really great start to the season, but he also middled off a little bit. I look to guys like Mitch Haniger, mm-hmm. Randall Gritchick. Those are two outfielders. Kyle Seeger, I think, could be an amazing fit because and he kills the Rangers every time. I every read that game, too. He kills yeah, the so it would be great to have him back. It's just such a precarious position because you can go out and you can sign a Chris Bryant, which would be a huge elevating force, but then. Josh Young had been in your plans for so long, Mm -hmm. but you want to sell tickets. You want to win games. But my thought, and this is what I would do if I was a GM, I would prioritize the future. And as great as Chris Bryant makes your team next season, it's certainly not moving the needle. And maybe it's even a higher impact player. You name it, whatever you sign them, give them all the money in the world, even a Correa, but that's, that's a little different, but I think you let the future figure out itself because you know that Josh Young is it. So you sign a gap stop, which is a Seager. You sign a Hanniger in right field for a stop gap. Mm-hmm. And then again, you get to the position where you have, I don't think Kershaw's story are bad at all. I do think Correa will be outbid. I don't think he'll go to the Rangers because I think he's going to be outbid, but you got to, you got to find some, some veteran guys that can win games in the meantime, mm-hmm. while you're still planning for the future. Yeah, and I th- I completely agree. Uh, Mitch Hanniger is a name that's talked about a lot, whether he slots in a DH or right field. Um, there's still the question of guys like Willie Calhoun, mm-hmm. um, who just has the worst luck in baseball. I mean, every time the guy starts going on a hot streak, he gets hit in the face or he gets hit in the <laughs> wrist and he's out for the year. And it's like, my God. Um, but I, I think the Willie Calhoun experiment is over. Um, I, I think... At this point, you can. It's already twenty-seven. Um, he doesn't really fit the time. I mean, you really him and and the the thing I struggle with is Adolis Garcia because I love what Adolis Garcia brought to this team. There was a there was a vibe and a swagger to just seeing him, you know, out out there. And should be a Gold Glove finalist, but I don't think he will be. Um, mm-hmm. Will definitely be an AL Rookie of the Year finalist at twenty-eight years old. Um, but you know, if if you're in this position where you know that you're not going to be competitive for the next two years why not see what you can get for him? Trade him, oh, yeah. right? See, there's got to be some team that can use an Adolis Garcia in the outfield. Oh, every team can use an Adolis Garcia in go. the outfield. Yeah. And I remember, I think this was preseason when we were talking about Joey Gallo. And I think I asked you straight up, do you want him? Do you think he should be the guy that the Rangers build around? And my thought was no. And I mm-hmm. think the Rangers did the right thing by trading him because he isn't the type of player that you want to build around. He's too inconsistent. And I think he's a better player than a lot of people give him credit for. He is just absolutely roasted in New York for no reason at all. I think oh, it's yeah. really too harsh. But I like what the Rangers got back for Gibson and Kennedy. I think they could get a lot back for Garcia. It's weird because we say rookie and 28-year-old in the same sentence. That doesn't usually happen. But if you think the Rangers are competing in three or four years, then we're pushing into the 32-33 season. And exactly. who knows what he's going to look like then? Exactly. So why not get value for him right now, rebuild that farm system? And and look, let, let's say in the offseason the Rangers get a Clayton Kershaw. You know, you fill out the rest of your rotation with guys like Glenn Otto, Taylor Hearn, whoever, right? Midway through the year, you bring up Cole Wynn. Maybe in September, Jack Leiter's a September call-up. You give him a you know little cup of coffee, and and he's your number two starter in you know in twenty twenty three. You sign a shortstop. You know you get a couple other pieces that maybe at the deadline you sell off for more prospects. Twenty twenty three. If you really want to, you can go and re- bring back Joey Gallo, yeah. which I think I think is going to happen. I, and I've said that I I know we've talked about this. I am I am putting all my chips in the center of the table that the Rangers will re-sign Joey Gallo. I, I don't think Gallo wanted to be in New York. Um, I think he has bad taste in his mouth from from the media and, and everything <laughs> that was said about him. Yeah. And Pete Rose and whoever else was talking crap about him. Because um, you're right. he's he's Joey Gallo is, is not the player that people want him to be. He's the player that he wants to be. And yeah. he's openly come out and said, look, I strike out a lot. But at the end of the day, I'm just trying to – I'm hitting home runs and I'm walking. Like that's 
those are my strengths. That's what I play to. Like, I'm never going to become a great contact hitter. I'm never going to be a guy that hits 300 or like 270 or whatever, but I'll hit 40 home runs. I'll drive in a hundred and I'll walk 112 times. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're the Rangers, when you've, you've given these young guys, let's say if three out of the six, you know, prospects you bring up next year, work out, I'll take that 50%. Yeah. Not bad. Then 2023, you go out, you sign a Joey Gallo. Do you sign a Jose Barrios? Uh, when his deal's up with with Toronto, um, you know, then you get into the year after that. You've got Matt Olson. You've got you know, if Nathaniel Lowe doesn't work out, but then you've got all these prospects. And instead of you know, much like the Astros did to get Justin Verlander or the Dodgers did to get uh, Max Scherzer, do you go out and get a guy in his last arbitration year like a Shane Bieber from Cleveland? Right. If Cle- if Jose Ramirez walks, Cleveland is not going to be a good team for the next few years. He should walk. Yeah, he should. Is Shane Bieber going to be available? Shane Bieber is arguably a top five pitcher in the AL. Mm -hmm. So do the Rangers make a huge push to get him? Do they go after and get a guy like um, uh, Trevor Rogers from the Marlins if the Marlins are still struggling? Right. I mean, there's so many opportunities there in the next, you know, three, four years that, you know, the Rangers have to be very, very patient with this, I think, and not not break the bank for guys that just fill positions like you said next year there needs to be a concerted effort to see what you've got in these minor league players that you've done such a good job of rebuilding that is incredibly well said that is perfect and it's so hard to do that when you have money to spend you almost wish that they didn't have money so they wouldn't be tempted to throw 100 million oh my god i know but i have a question for you so all those guys you just said, oh my God, the, the possibilities of Barrios and Bieber and Rogers and all the other pitchers that the mm-hmm. Marlins have on their roster too that are so good. I think that is the perfect solution when you have, when you're a pitcher away. Like we've said before, I won't beat a dead horse, but you got to do this season right. But my right. question is, would you rather when you're one player away, go out and get the pitcher that's going to complement your rotation? or the position player that's going to elevate your offense. Because I feel like we're talking a lot now about adding the shortstop. And maybe that's just because the way the class worked out this year, but it seems like you, and I've read a lot of this too, that it's more the offensive pieces. And we haven't Mm -hmm. talked a lot about the rotation and even the bullpen. We haven't mentioned the bullpen at all. I get that there are a lot of young options that you can see a lot of, but it would also be really, really brutal for the young confidence of these pitchers to only sign a Kershaw to have all the rest young guys and then just mm-hmm. watch them get pounded game after game. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's a very, very good question. Um, I, I would say for the Rangers, I would say it's a pitcher just because I think the offensive talent that they have in the minor leagues surpasses the okay. pitching talent that they have in the minor leagues, yeah. right? Um, you know, the, the only two pitchers... It, you know, Taylor Hearn had a great year this year, but it, it, again, it's we've seen flashes of brilliance from so many players across baseball that, you know, it, it's lightning in a bottle for a year, year and a half, yeah. and then they're awful, right? So next year is going to be one of those years where you're going to see, is Glenn Otto the Glenn Otto we saw this year? Taylor Hearn, AJ Alexi, Spencer Howard is a huge one. Um, you know, again, I think Dane Dunning, like we talked about, is the one guy that you can pencil in as your number three, number four guy, and he'll be... Mm-hmm. That role is solidified for him. I think he proved it this year. Um, the rest of the Rangers pitchers are all in the minor leagues and have a long way to go. Um, guys like Cole Wynn, um, who I think will come up, who is, um, I think he was the MVP of the Futures game uh, this past year, um, is a great talent. Um, he'll be in the rotation. I think he slots in as, a again, number three, number four kind of guy. And then you've got Jack Leiter, who's your who's going to be your future ace. I mean, yeah. there's no doubt about, about that. So... You know, and, and on the other side of the coin, there's other than than outfield, the Rangers have so many infield prospects that are graded highly enough that it's not a concern for me. Um, I think Young is the third baseman of the future. Uh, you've got Ezekiel Duran, who you got from the Yankees, Josh Smith, um, also from the Yankees, Trevor Hauer, um, and then Justin Foscue. All middle infielders can play shortstop, can play second base. I think Nathaniel Lowe holds down the job for another couple of years, um, especially with the package that we gave up for him to Tampa. There, Chris Young is not quick to to give up on players that that you know he he spent a lot on. Yeah. Um, but you've also got a guy named Dustin Harris, and if if Rangers fans or if you haven't heard of him, I highly recommend just go search him on Twitter, or go search him on Google. Um, 
the guy, it's again, it's low A ball, so it's not much to write home about. But this is, he's one of the guys that the Rangers got back in return um, for the Elvis Andrews deal um, to uh, to Oakland, um, along with Jonah Heim and Chris Davis. So um, a guy that um, is is tearing up low A ball that the Rangers consider their first base into the future potentially. So there's a lot of it's a long winded answer. I'm sorry, but there's a lot of infield offensive talent. Um, so I think the outfield, you know, you bring back Joey Gallo in a couple of years. I think Leody Tavares is the way he ended the season. I think they're going to give him the center field job and, and there's a lot of faith in him and he's only 23 and people forget that. Um, so really you just need a, a guy who can play left field. Um, and there's, you know, I, I feel like there's, you know, minimal, not minimal, but there's, there's really, really good outfielders there that aren't going to cost you a lot. Um, you know, can you go out if the Reds blow it up? Can you go out and get a Jesse Winker? Can you go out and get an Andrew Benintendi, you know, when his deal's up with the Royals? Um, do the rest, do the Rangers call the Red Sox and say, Hey, how, what can we give you for Alex Verdugo? I mean, yeah. you know, at the end of the like day, Renfro too. Hunter yeah. Renfro can slot in there and he's not a bad fielder. I mean, so I think pitching is is where the Rangers and pitching has always been the struggle for the Rangers um, for years and years and years. That's what and you know that's why they made the deal to get you Darvish, paid him a lot of money. That's why they did the deal for Cole Hamels. So I think ultimately at the end of the day, they are going to use that prospect capital on getting a guy like Shane Bieber, getting a guy like like Rogers from from the Marlins. Um, you know, unless you know the one caveat to that is. If a big bat becomes available, do the Phillies regret the Bryce Harper deal in a couple of years and say, hey, who's going to give us money for Bryce Harper? Mm-hmm. If you're the Rangers, do you go after Bryce Harper over Joey Gallo in a couple of years? I mean, that's those are the decisions you're going to have to make. I would hope so. I would think so. Oh, and 100%. Unless Joey Gallo really turns it around. 100% yeah. I go after Bryce Harper. without And, and truthfully... I don't. I would not be shocked if he asks out, and or not even if he asks out. If the Phillies say, you know what, this didn't work. Yeah. We need flexibility. Let's let's get our prospect. You know, let's rebuild our farm system. Which would just be a catastrophe. And that was a really good, thoughtful answer. And I hope for your your mental health sake that the <laughs> the ownership group is thinking the same way because it, that's very well thought out. I truly don't think that a team and an organization in general, from the major league level to high A ball cannot be successful if they don't have a really strong pitching development system. And that's honestly something that the Phillies have struggled with for years and years and years. And that's why Spencer Howard is now on the Rangers, but it just seems like the perfect situation. And honestly, you sounded a little bit optimistic to me when you were talking and giving that answer and naming off all of these names next year is the perfect trial year. It's, it might be tough to watch at times, but that's exactly what these prospects need to get a cup of coffee see how they do offensively and pitching. And then again, you just wait, you wait till you're in a position to get the Beavers, the, I mean, even, even Eduardo Rodriguez on the Sox, if he rejects Absolutely. his offer, that could be a, a nice little fix in there for now. It's just yeah. stop gaps for now. Absolutely. I, I think Chris Young, Chris Young's a smart guy. He pit, yeah. you know, he pitched a long time in the major leagues. He has seen, you know, he, I think I'm 90% sure he was on that Royal team that won the world series that had, no, yeah. that had no business winning the world series. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he knows what it takes, I think to, to build up a team. Um, I would also call the Royals and see if they would, if somebody on the other line had too much to drink and would trade Bobby Witt Jr. Um, <laughs> since he's from Texas, but that's, that might take a lot. That might take a lot. That's uh, I'll do that in my MLB the Show franchise. That's what yeah, I'll do. Um, but uh, no, it's look baseball's exciting. I I love I love um, you know I'm optimistic because it's not John Daniels. Let's just say that. Yeah. Um, you know, and if it was John Daniels, I would kind of just be like, all right, we're gonna sign a bunch of thirty year old guys to four year, hundred million dollar deals, and and we'll be back here in two years talking about the same thing. So, um, well, I mean, if you want to, just you know. Give a big shout out to you. Thanks for hopping on. I, I appreciate it. Um, where can uh, where can everybody find you? Yeah, definitely. That was really fun. I, I love talking about the Rangers. And like I said at the beginning, I usually try and stay optimistic, but I do feel like they're in a good position because they labeled that as a rebuild. And now they have the financial mm-hmm. and hopefully the thought flexibility to run a bunch of different scenarios through and try and get this team back to winning. But thanks again for having me on. Yeah, so my friend and I, Pat, we, ho- we co-host a sports podcast on Blue Wire Hustle called did you hear you can find it on twitter and instagram at did you hear pod and we actually made the announcement yesterday that pat and i were both 
Villanova graduates. We're actually taking over a Villanova basketball specific podcast. That's awesome. State of the Nova Nation. So we're really congratulations. About that. Yeah, thank you. We'll uh, we'll definitely talk some Nova Texas basketball because both teams are going to be very very good this year. I love that. And are you a big Shaka's fan? What do you think about uh, yeah. Shaka Smart? Yeah, Mark Look, now. Uh, Shaka Smart is like the Tom Herman of Texas football. Okay. It was a big big name hire at the time. Thought it would work out. It didn't. Um, but you can't lose every NCAA tournament game as a coach and keep your job. Um, yes. So I, I'm excited about Chris Beard, number five class in, or number five team in the nation, two mm-hmm. five star recruits coming in next year. It's gonna be it's a good time to be a Texas basketball fan. Football's a, football's a different story. We'll we'll get into that later. Yeah, I I hopefully will not be talking about that with you. Unfortunately, <laughs> no. But I think it was a bummer for basketball. Uh, excuse me, for baseball season to end. I was bummed about the Sox. You were bummed about the Sox. But college basketball season is just around the corner, and it's going to be so much fun too. It's going to be awesome. Well, thanks again, Emma, for hopping on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was awesome. Thanks again. Awesome. Thanks everybody for listening. Once again, I'm your host, Sean Avaz Makani. Please be sure to subscribe to Metroplex Mania and the Did You Hear Pod as well uh, via uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whichever you choose. Uh, Until next time, thank you for listening.